0: There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my my share of the estate. estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together, all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. So he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants,
1: Quick, bring me the best robe in the Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the back calf calf. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine is dead and is alive life he was lost and now.
0: So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father,
1: look, all these years I've been <laughs> slain and never yeah, you never gave me even a young ghost so celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours was squandered your property, of the prostitutes comes home. You killed a bad captain. My son.
0: The father said.
1: You are always with me. Everything I have is yours. we <laughs> had to celebrate, and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead, is alive again. He was lost, is
0: May God bless the
1: reading of his word. Amen. Welcome to Prodigal Church. We're I remember sitting in my living room with nine other people dreaming of the church that we believe God was calling us to start. Um, I remember us trying to figure out what we're going to call it. And we got the name Prodigal Church from Luke chapter 15, the story that was just read. Charles Dickens once wrote about this parable, the prodigal son is the finest short story ever written. I must agree. It's the longest of Jesus' parables, Shakespeare wrote plays based upon it, Rembrandt painted it, and we've all learned it in Sunday school. And still it has this impact on our souls when we hear it, when we feel it. Uh, And the story is more appropriately called the parable of the loving father because the story is not really about the prodigal son. Jesus' first sentence actually tells us, says this, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. It is is a story about two sons and a father, not just the one son who left home. There were two sons. Both were separated from their father. One because of rebellious living, and one because of religious living. One separated because of bad deeds, and the other separated because of his good deeds. One for breaking the rules, the other for keeping all the rules. One, because he was unrighteous, and the other, because he was self-righteous. So my question for you is, are you naughty or are you snotty? (laughs) Okay? (laughs) We both, we veer one or the other, okay? Are you naughty or are you snotty? Did you know that being good and upright and moral and in close proximity to the family, you can still be more lonely and distant than someone in a pig pen in a foreign land? I used to think this story was about a good son and a bad son. It is not. It is about two bad sons. Two desires. You have Vegas spring break on one side, (laughs) and you have the Department of Moral Behavior and Responsibility on the other. And both miss the point. Both are deceptions. I have a twin brother. He went away two hours away for college, and he came back on one visit, and we were hanging out, and he goes, Hey, John. I will give you $40 if you let me crack three eggs on your head. And I go, dude, I'm a, I'm a college student right now, so yeah, of course. You can break three eggs on my head, give me 40 bucks. And so first one, right there, just dunks it right on my head. And I was like, it's not too bad. And the second one, he kind of winds up, right, and does like this Air Jordan, kind of right on my head, splash goes all over the place. He starts walking away. And I go, hey, you got, you got one more egg? And he goes, no, 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 I said I'd give you 40 bucks if I crack three eggs, I only crack two. Have a nice day. That is, that is how deception works. <laughs> you think you're getting paid, and you end up with egg on your face. Just think about this older brother. This older brother, he hears the ruckus, right? He sees the crowd. He's wondering, what's happened? And they're like, haven't you heard? Your younger brother's back. And this twist, this is what makes the parable so powerful. The problem for this religious son is that he's not connected to his father. Oh, he's there. He even said so in his own defense, right? He says, Father, I've, I, I've been here. i slaving away all day with you. He's the faithful one when it comes to working on the farm, helping him bring in the revenue. But did you notice that he's still surprised that his father still loves the younger son? How could he have missed the look on his father's eyes every morning when he looked over the horizon, looking, waiting for his lost son to come home. How could he have not seen or sensed the pain in his own dad because a part of him was missing in a foreign land? There's nothing wrong with being angry at sin, but when we let that anger consume us to the point where we turn it upon the sinner, then we turn our own anger into sin. You see, I think if I give others what they deserve, that I am on the side of God. I am not. I think that if I stay in the church and I do all the right things, and then I'm on the side of love, no, I'm not. Just because you're religious doesn't mean you're loving. And the older son shows us this. Henry Nowen wrote this. Returning home from a lust, lustful escapade seems so much easier then returning home from a cold anger that has rooted itself in the deepest corners of my being. My resentment is not something that can be easily distinguished and dealt with rationally. Christians, this is the deception of the religious spirit, that you can be right in the thick of it, church, ministry, involved up to your elbows and your chin and still be disconnected from God. Because reluctant And loathsome obedience is not love. Notice that the father goes out to both sons. He leaves the house for the younger son on the road, and he leaves the house for the older son who's missing the party. He's been longing to be reunited with his younger son, and there's a a feast, and I bet he didn't want to leave his son's side, but when he hears that his other son, his older son, his faithful son, is remaining outside he leaves the party the father leaves to go out to him the father goes out to both we love to categorize people we love to blame the world's problems on those people because that's so much easier than working on ourselves and doing something about it see as long as we blame them we don't have to change us so this religious son says dad what are you doing and he's like your your brother's back he come to the party be reconciled he says i'm not going to be reconciled to him when he turned his back on our family he's dead to me i haven't spent any of your money he blew a third of the estate i'm doing all my chores and his chores dad i'm still a virgin and he's off sleeping with whoever he wants over there he's an embarrassment i'm ashamed that he has the last name as i do son you're always with me but your brother's back he's home See, the older brother missed it. What should be a joyous celebration is now a pity party for one. We can be moral, but not alive. Have you ever seen that? Someone is on paper from a distance. They're making all the right decisions, but they're missing life. They might be following all the rules of the Bible, but they're not in love with Jesus. Because they're missing the abundant life that he came to bring. You can be moral but not alive. Lost in religion. If our churches aren't appealing to younger brothers, then they must be more full of elder brothers than we'd like to admit. See, the older brother approaches his relationship with his dad in a deal-making way. If you give me this, I will do that. Since I have done this, now you do that. It's a transactional relationship. But... That is not how spirituality works. That is not how family works. And that is not how love works. That's actually how the mafia works. (laughs) If then, it's contractual, it's reciprocal, but it's not love. It's not the way of the father. It's not the way of grace. See, the older son wants a merit-based way of living, a scorecard. I've done right. I do good things. Good things come my way. And the only thing worse than wanting a merit-based way of living and not getting it is watching someone else receive grace. If you've been breaking your back for the scorecard and you realize you didn't need one all along, nothing is more infuriating. How many of us have done that? How many of us have preferred the safety and control of a deal-making way of relationship, either in our relationships with others or in our relationship with God? It might be safer because I don't let anyone fully in, but it's not the way of love. It's not the way of authentic spirituality, and it's not the way of Jesus. Jesus calls us out of religious living, like the older brother. But he also calls us out of rebellious living, like the younger brother. The, it says that he d- divided the inheritance. It, the Greek, it's even starker. It's he divided between them the life, the bios. Because the land, the property, was the livelihood of this family and the future generations of this family. So he very literally divided the life among the sons. And he gives them what he wants. And in so doing, the father sustains a massive financial loss because there's no way he could liquidate the assets and get the right price. See, the younger son is rebellious. He spends, he spends, he's living the life. But then there's an economic downturn. And it's all fun until it's not. And now he's on the street. He finds himself working on a pig farm because it was the only place he would hire him. And this is the worst possible place for a Jewish boy to work among swine. And he's so hungry, no one will give him anything. And now he longs for the food that the pigs are eating. And he came to his senses and he began the long and difficult walk back to his dad's house. And you can see him. He's rehearsing the line. He's he's walking on the road and he's thinking, this is what I'm going to say to dad. I will say to my father, I've sinned against heaven and, and against you and make me one of your hired hands. I'm not worthy to be your son. He's practicing his speech to his dad on his way home. Have you ever done something wrong and then you have to own up to it? I remember when I was in college, uh, I uh, I had friends stay in the night, we were all hanging out, and my parents were like, don't sneak out. And we're like, totally, totally, parents go to bed, we sneak out. Um, And uh, we decided we're going to go, you know, toilet paper our youth pastor's house for the third time that month. And so we we, we put my car in neutral so my parents wouldn't hear it start up because we drove a 1977 Silverado, Silverado, wake up the neighborhood. So we pushed the truck, started it, drove over there, teepeed the house. We get in the car, the truck, and we're like ready to go. And so it had just rained the night before. So I decided that, you know, as we turn around, I'm not going to do a three-point turn. I don't want my, my, my reverse lights to shine, maybe wake someone up in the neighborhood. Okay, we were pro teepeers. And so instead of that, I decided to kind of just keep turning around through the field And my truck gets stuck in the mud, so I was like, "No!" So we tried everything. We had all these, you know, 18-year-old guys trying to push it out to no avail. We put sticks underneath it; it doesn't work. We end up taking squares of toilet paper from the trees, laying out before nothing works. So I'm like, "Guys, just take me home." When my dad wakes up in the morning, I'll just tell him. I'll just tell him what I did. And they're like, no, John, do you get it? I, I'll just do it. So I don't really sleep a wink that night. I wake up. My dad's already—my dad was a cop, okay? Uh, and he's not much for words, particularly in the morning. So he's sitting there eating a bowl of cereal, and I go, morning, Dad. He just looks up, just keeps eating. I kind of put my arms like this, and I go, Whoa kind of cold in here. You know, I could see my breath now. Like, hell is freezing over as I'm talking to him. And then I just rip it off like a band-aid. I'm like, Dad, I snuck out, and I got the truck stuck in the mud last night. (laughs) And I just braced myself, braced myself. Um, And I don't remember what he said, um, but, uh, you know, I do know that I was grounded. And um, I do remember the day he let me off being grounded, which was my wedding day when I was 25 years old. So I thought it was a nice gesture, Um, that I don't start my marriage on being grounded. But my dad, rebellious son, had to confess. And here's this rebellious son, marinating, thinking, what's he going to say? What's going to happen? What's his dad going to do? Because the Jewish law said three things that the father was going to do. There's only three options. The first was the father can disown you. The law said that you can do that. You don't treat your dad that way. Second is the father can beat him. There was a provision in the law that if you had a rebellious son, you could actually beat him. Then the third thing the father could do is kill him. So the Bible said to do when you have a rebellious son, okay? That's, it's right there in the law. So in order for this son to come back, he himself is taking a risk. So the son is looking at the ground, thinking about what he's going to say to his dad as he gets there. As he approaches home, is he going to disown me? Is he going to beat me? Is he going to kill me? And this is what the Bible says. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. As he's rehearsing his speech, he looks up and sees his old man, and he sees his dad running with a smile on his face. My son, my son, it's my boy, it's my boy. After disowning his dad, his dad doesn't disown him. He threw his arms around him. The Bible says that he hugged and kissed him. In the Greek, it says he kept kissing him. It wasn't one. It's as if he he continued to kiss him so that no one who on the road, none of the elders of the town, could stone the rebellious son because the father was protecting him. Now, in first century Jewish culture, The father would wait for some sign of respect before he addressed his son. But here, the father throws aside all social conventions. And for the patriarch to run is to lose all caution and dignity. There's no dignified way to run in a tunic, you know? Like, like in the the Jewish world, if you were a grown man, there were two reasons you would run. The first would be to escape an attack And the the second way is if you were committing a crime. That's it. All other reasons were undignified. So some people might be feeling this weight of the story. You might be questioning, because some of the ramifications, right? Like, this is too much. It's unfair. God, you can't treat people like this. They'll never respect you. You do something like this, and people are just gonna sin all the time. God, we can't have that. We need clear lines, clear punishments when lines are crossed. God's like, nope, I'm the dude in the bathrobe wearing underwear and slippers running down to meet my son. And the paparazzi can take all the pictures they want. I don't care because my son was lost and now he's found. It is a scandalous amount of love and grace given to this undeserving son. And this is how God feels about you. Even now, some of you might be feeling a stirring inside. That's the Holy Spirit of God. Saying it's time for you to come home. There's no I told you so's. He comes home. He wastes his money. He says, Dad, I wish you were dead. And the dad doesn't say, I told you it wasn't going to work out. There's no I told you so's. Just open arms. This kind of love doesn't make sense. It's not logical. That's because love is not according to logic. Love is according to love. It's its own merit. God's love is the cure for our rebelliousness, and God's love is the cure for our religiosity. God calls us out of both. One writer said this, that God has an ongoing love affair with sinners. He throws a party of rich food and drink to get their attention. He invites the undeserving, dances with the never-do-wells, and slips a ring on their finger. Sometimes... The most profound truths come in unexpected ways. And for me, it came in the form of this children's book, Runaway Bunny. Uh, It was written maybe 60, 70 years ago by Margaret Wise Brown. And I just want to read a few pages. It says this. Once there was a little bunny who wanted to run away. So he said to his mother, I am running away. If you run away, said his mother, I will run after you. For you are my little bunny. If you run after me, said the little bunny, I will become a fish in a trout stream and I will swim away from you. If you become a fish in a trout stream, said his mother, I will become a fisherman to catch you. And on and on. The bunny says, well, then I'll become all kinds of things. I'll become a rock, I'll become a mountain climber, I'll become a gardener, I'll become a bird. And then at the, near, at the end of the book, little bunny's still trying to run away from mom. He says, I will become a little boy and run into a house. And she says, if you become a little boy and run into a house, said the mother bunny, I will become your mother and catch you in my arms and hug you. Shucks, said the bunny. I might just as well stay where I am and be your little bunny. And so he did. Have a carrot, said the mother bunny. God's relentless pursuit of his children is like that mother. Now, the the author, at the end of the book, goes on to share how she used to read this book to her, her two sons, And one of her sons loved it. He was excited that the mother bunny would do whatever it took, and this son would often ask his mom to read it over again and again. She had a second son, and he didn't like the book. He was really frustrated by it. He would say, Mom, why would the mother bunny not let the little bunny do what he wanted to do? And he would cheer on the little bunny as he would try and get away. Go, little bunny, run, swim. He would invent new scenarios in which the little bunny was actually able to escape the mother. So as she is reading this book to him, he'd be cheering on the little bunny to get away from her. She goes on to share that as her boys got older, she began to recognize that for love to blossom, she needed to give her boys a certain amount of space. And she ends with saying this, I'm as close to my sons now as many of my friends are with their daughters. Other friends with sons report the same thing. I tell you this, so that the parents of teenagers would not lose hope when their little bunnies leave the nest and wander into the dangerous world. If you find yourself holding tight to your children long past the time of appropriateness or helpfulness, perhaps it would help you if you took down an old copy of Runaway Bunny and sit down on the couch next to your stunned son or daughter and read the book aloud, only this time change the words. Read it like this. Once there was a little bunny that wanted to run away, so he said to his mother, I am running away. If you run away, said his mother, I will let go, for you are grown now. I trust you to find your way in the world. Run away, bunny. Run away. There is something true about that, that love of God pursues us, but yet love at its core is not coercive. There is something about love that permits space, that permits decision, that permits choice. And some of us have ran away before we were ready, and Jesus stands with open arms, and he's calling us out of religious living, and he's calling us out of rebellious living, and he's inviting everyone to the party. That's the kind of church we're called to be. That's the kind of people we're called to be. I want to invite Noe and the band to come up. We'll close with a declaration of the lordship of Jesus in our lives and in this church and in this city and in our world. I don't know where you're at in this story. Some of you have been the rebellious son. And you're like, the father, those rules, those are outdated. They're, some of the Bible's barbaric. It's, it's an outdated book. And you've been making your own decisions. Others of us have stayed at home. And we've been moral, but we certainly haven't been alive. And we resent the younger brothers. And Jesus shows up on the scene, invites us to love everyone, to love God, and to love people, and to be. A prodigal church. Calling people out of rebellious living and calling them out of religious living. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your heart for us. That while we are still far away, you pursue us. God, we ask that in Jesus' name that, that you remove the callousness of religiosity from our hearts so that we can feel again. And God, for those of us who have ran away, God, I pray that that your love brings us back, that there's no better place to be than in the arms of our Father. And so God, we love you. We declare your lordship in this place, over our lives, in this church, in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing, All Hail, King Jesus.